the feel not. Number 161. The one where we say, did he really say that? Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo headmistresses out there. I'm David Gay. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. How you doing, David? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Sounds like I'm doing better than you right now. <laughs> it's been a long day. Our baby has been sick, and so I've been with her all day and uh, getting fluids all over me. And <laughs> it, It's the joy of parenthood, right? <laughs> Right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a rite of passage. Yeah. Dude. Now I know Mandy listens to this <laughs> this uh, podcast. Should we get her in trouble or get you in trouble by telling a story? Uh, no, I okay. do. I, I, that happens too much. She's always like, "Dad, you always tell that story. Come on." Well, like, okay, so she's working on her third child right yeah. now. <laughs> so the last thing she wants to hear is, uh, you know, graphic. Story, poopy stories from when she was a child. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, it's okay because I still get the same weird, wacky treatment from my mom. <laughs> and I'm a grandparent. That's okay. right. So Just a rite of passage is what it is. You gotta do what you gotta Man, do. and Blakely has created a lot of stories for me over this weekend, so... <laughs> It's been fun. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm excited about the upcoming uh, Easter retreat at yes, the way. Yes, Starting this weekend. Yeah. So it'll be cool. I'm heading down there Thursday night. You guys going Thursday night, too? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm spending all day Friday and heading back on Saturday. Yeah. Should be a good good time. It'll be awesome. Great yeah. time of worship. So we do that every year. Uh-huh. It's uh, It's been pretty cool so far. And right. We're looking forward to another great time. I hope the weather holds up. Yeah. And everything is... It should be great. I can't wait. Awesome. So that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's exciting. So, yeah, and I got a uh, bunch of interesting things going on at work right now. We yeah. some changing in how everything is organized with my clients. And uh, so more to come on that. Right now, all that's still brewing. Right. But anyway, yeah, it's... Uh, it's Some, kind of been a whirlwind. Oh, everything's you know crazy right now. It's <laughs> you, so much. Well, and on. you've got like you're on baby watch 2018, aren't you? Yeah. So any yeah. day now. Yeah, we should have our little granddaughter Gracie upon this planet, Lord willing, in a uh, few weeks. That's right. She's and she's even like you know this motherly instinct of hers. I guess she's like, I really feel it's going to happen this week, <laughs> and I'm like, hold off. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I want her here as much as anybody, but hey. (laughs) You got an Easter treat to go to. (laughs) Yeah, can't you do this on my schedule? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Oh, well. No, it'd be a blessing whenever it happens. Definitely. I'm I'm excited, super excited about this. Little Gracie, first first little girl. Yeah. That's that's awesome. They're they're due a little girl. Yeah, they are. Jesse, Jesse and Shepard are, are, you know... They hand- put up with little boys for yes. a while they're, now. They're, they're a handful. 
they're still <laughs> just, it's amazing listen to them uh talk and all that I mean, it's like i love the age that they are right now it's like my favorite age and um so like we were babysitting them and we're sitting there at the table eating and it's kind of quiet you know and just kind of munching mm-hmm. and uh shepherd you know put his away really quick and uh he looks up and he goes I want my doo-doo now. And I was like, doo-doo? I was like, what do you what do you want with your doo-doo? And <laughs> Jesse goes, he looks at me like I'm an idiot and says, Pappy, he said he was ready for his dessert now. <laughs> I was like, dessert, because I didn't get that. I got doo-doo. doo-doo. <laughs> So anyway, the just, fun of it all. Yeah, they're just really funny. That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> I said something about him being a little Ethiopian. I can't remember what it was. You know, I'm always having fun with him. Yeah. And um, anyway, Mandy was telling us later on that um, <laughs> what was it that Jesse was saying? Jesse was saying, um, "Oh, they were putting they were they're sitting in their individual car seats, uh-huh. right?" And um, and Jesse says, only four-year-olds, because he's he's really obsessed with the fact that he is slightly older than right. Shepard, like only slightly older. And he's like, only four-year-olds can buckle their own <laughs> car seats. <laughs> and Mandy said, Jesse, Shepard just buckled his car seat. <laughs> and he says, okay, well, maybe Ethiopian three-year-olds can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So anyway, it's funny. That's awesome. Kids are great growing up, man. Yeah. And it happens fast, man. It does. You gotta enjoy it while they're each phase. There's a every phase of their growing up is a different experience. Like you God wanted to make sure that you never get it down. <laughs> like because the minute you get down this toddler age, then it's gonna be that, you know, a little bit of crazy age. And then once you get that down, then it's going to be like, no, here comes the tweens. Right. And then once you get that down, no, here comes teenager. It's right. just like there's a new phase every time you turn around. It's nuts. And, uh, but I think that's awesome. Yeah. It just, it keeps us humble. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to jump into it? Oh, let's do this. So I knew this is going to be a controversial topic, and that's why I let you... uh, Yeah, so you're like throwing me under the bus. That's why I let you handle it. (laughs) I figured that uh, it'd be a lot easier just to sit back and go, "Uh uh-huh, no, no, uh uh-huh. What do you think about this? And try to, you know... Because this is a... uh, I mean, this is a hot-button issue in the church even today. In fact, in my denomination alone... Uh, my old denomination alone, uh, Southern Baptist, it caused in Texas there are two Southern Baptist conventions. There's not just one. Yeah, there's the SBTC and the uh, General uh, Baptist Convention, and the reason they split was over this issue and this issue alone. Wow! And so it's a uh, it's a hot button issue we're getting well, into. Yeah, and I'm and I'm there is no way. I'm just going to start this out. There is no way. That we are not going to get somebody's panties in the water. 
Like, like it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care what camp you're in. Like, because if you have an opinion and on this topic, someone is going to get crooked on it. That's right. But it's just, it's just the way it goes. And, um, I don't know, I guess I'm going to take a stance that it's probably a little different than what I was even raised with or, you know, whatever. Um, but here's my advice. We don't have the answers. <laughs> Surprise. Okay. <laughs> it's great. Enjoy listening to the Theonauts. Right. May we provoke you to study. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> if you don't like what we say, then then really go and study and see and, you know. Oh, yeah. And search oh, it out. By the way. Oh, I, I should have done this before we started recording. We've had some pushback. Really? Uh, and some feedback. Yeah. Um. I'll have to get it together and we'll, we'll, cause it, it deserves a little bit of time on our show to talk about. Okay. Uh, because, uh, there's some people out there that are just flat out wrong. And <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. So, but anyway, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, I really kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> have you already but, responded to these people? No, I haven't even no, gotten a message. No, I have not. Um, okay. uh, they left a um, they left voice messages on our speak pipe, which we hardly ever get anybody that uses that. That's on the website, by the way. Right. And I, to be honest, I don't even really think they listened to the episode. I think they read the, the description, the the show notes, which aren't very for us. I mean, right. I don't put a lot into right. those show notes. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, they just kind of read the synopsis and you know commented. Uh, now that I might be wrong, but it didn't sound like they had really thoroughly listened to what we had to say. But anyway, so there's some stuff we can look forward to. That's the next fun. Theonauts episode. That'll be awesome. Also, before we dive off into this too much, um, while I'm thinking of it, uh, we did have someone ask which version of Augustine's um, confessions I was reading from. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure that out right now. Uh, it looks like it is um, translated by J.G. Pilkington, P-I-L-K-I-N-G-T-O-N, uh, Vicar of St. Mark's West Hackney. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am not sure how many translations there are of confessions, but, you know, you asked. <laughs> There's your yeah. It's actually in a in a uh, compendium anthology. Of, yeah, it's it's in the Nicene and post Nicene Fathers uh, vo- first series volume by Erdman's, okay. uh, which is a good series of of uh, early church fathers church writings. father writings. But okay, so wait, we digress. On to the topic. Back to the issue at hand. Okay, so... How are we going to start this out? Well, I'm going to start it out with disclaimers and uh, don't blame me's and uh, whatever else. So, uh, (laughs) don't blame... Okay, so here is is, uh, uh, some housekeeping, I guess, for this topic. For one, we're probably not going to change your mind. Right. Okay, that going in. Uh, Two, your view and my view, generally is based on pretty much what you were raised with. That's kind, that's kind of what it boils down to. That's very true. Um, the, there, are, there are people who are very passionate about uh, women's roles and women's roles in ministries in mm-hmm. particular uh, on both sides of the fence. Uh, 
Right. And generally, it does have a lot to do with, well, this has always been what I always knew and what I always thought was right, and until someone proves me wrong, this is what it's going to be. Well, and I think it's important to point out the idea <laughs> of culture itself, because I think they had a, the ha- a hand in why Paul was writing these things to begin with. Yes. was because of culture. And so we need to understand that you are a product of your upbringing. Whether or not you want to admit that, um, that's one of the great things that makes you who you are. And so um, that being said, you know, where Scripture speaks, you might have to shift your culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that... It's it's okay. It's not a bad thing to be a product of your culture. Right. But be willing to to maybe Own step that. out. That's right. Know that that's where you are. Exactly. And, you know, I've had people tell me, yes, I am a product of my culture, but no one's ever proven me wrong. Well. <laughs> that's because you don't want to be proven wrong. My, my, my thoughts on that are try to study with an open mind. Don't, don't, don't. Go into it saying I'm going to prove something. someone needs to prove me wrong. Right. Prove yourself right because believe it or not, I be- I believe that most of us would not get exactly where we were were we not in some sort of system. Right. Like if you just had the Bible, if someone just gave you the Bible and you'd never read it before and you'd never been taught anything about it and it was left up solely to you to figure out how to do church, you probably would not do it the way that your current church is doing it. Exactly. I mean, I mean our we are a big um we are largely based on our traditions. Mm-hmm. And and as much as we hate to admit that. So, that being said, uh disclaimers we, out of the way. No, there's there's more disclaimers. Okay. okay. Go ahead. Actually, my first point is sort of a disclaimer. Disclaimer. Okay. okay. So, here's my current stance on my view of the New Testament. Anyway, okay? oh, here we go. Now, and this is largely because of what I was, where, where I came from. Yeah. Okay. I do not believe that the New Testament is a law book. I don't believe it was intended to be a law book. In fact, I believe it is anti-law in most of its writings. It is about getting away from Levitical thinking. Like that is a large part. Of Paul's of Paul's points that he makes in the book of Romans in the book of Galatians, it's all over the place. Okay. Okay. So, but we tend to keep looking for laws. We we tend to keep looking for well, what's the Bible command us on this topic? Um, well, isn't that the nature of humanity? It it is. We want rules. We want we want to be told what to do. So there's no gray area. It's because we're we understand who we are as people. The fact that we're screwed up people. <laughs> And we want to have a law to keep us in check, honestly. Yeah. So we we want to we want to make sure that we're not breaking the law, right? Or we're not breaking God's rule on things, exactly. But what the point of the New Testament is is that God's interested in your intentions. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in what you if you if your desire is to not break the law, that's good thing. Whether you get it right or not, I don't really think is the point. Because we're all going to come up with our own ideas about what is supposed to be done and what's not supposed to be done. But what God is interested in is whether or not you love him enough to make the attempt. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. Are you saying that you're antinomian? Uh, In in certain definitions of that word, most definitely. Okay. Uh, I've heard different people take that word and mean it, you know, to mean different things. (laughs) Right. But in the term that we are no longer under any type of law, other than the principal law of grace and faith. 
So that's a principle that's not a list of commands. Right. Um, the, the command that we're under now is about love. So, um, so that is going to drive a whole lot of this study. So if you're already turned off on that, <laughs> that's, that's going to push it. Here we go. Yep. Okay, so in one of the things I want to use to kind of back that up comes from Paul himself, uh, especially when speaking to the Corinthians. He used this phrase twice. He said this both in 1 Corinthians 6 and he turned around and said it again in 1 Corinthians 10. And the reason why is the Corinthians were messed up people. Oh, yeah. They weren't getting anything right. No. And, and they, were, they were causing all kinds of problems in the way they were doing church. And so this first letter of Corinthians is a letter of correction. It's not a letter of law. <clears throat> it is a letter of correction to bring them into a place where people will benefit. Okay, and so uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Hmm. Okay, so now he's talking about sexual immorality and several other things in this passage whenever he says this. And what does that mean, all things are lawful? And I've heard people say, oh, it's the most confusing passage in the Bible. It's not confusing. (laughs) He's saying that this isn't about law. This is about what's helpful. Right. And so whenever I'm telling you how you should act, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I'm not trying to, to strap you with a list of commands and laws. I'm trying to help you. Hmm. Uh, he does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, whenever he says, at verse 23, once again, all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. <laughs> Sounds familiar. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Right. So in other words, <clears throat> be smart about the decisions you make. Be smart about how you organize, what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're treating people, because that affects people. And also the pur- yeah, the purpose behind <clears throat> what you're doing. Yes, God cares about how we treat one another. Right. And how we, like... You might feel it's perfectly okay to do X, Y, and Z. And the guy next to you might just be so appalled about that, it's unreal. So maybe you should come to some sort of compromising position instead of just letting the devil make care. Whatever, I'm free to do whatever. I mean, you have to take other people's, you have to love other people. Right. And that's what Paul is saying. All the, In fact, the question at hand in 1 Corinthians 10 was, is it okay to eat meats sacrificed to idols? Now, I want you to do an... A, a topical study on that question because you're going to find more than one answer by the same guy. Yeah. Paul tells one group to do one thing and he tells another group to do a different thing. That's right. So what's the law on this? <laughs> well, the, the law is exactly what he said right there in that verse surrounding that question is that all things are lawful here. Not everything's helpful and not everything's going to build people up. So take that in consideration whenever we're talking about women's roles in the church, because sure. that is going to drive a lot of the teachings that we normally go to, mm-hmm. and it's also going to drive uh, our understanding of how we use it today and what and what we do today. Okay, so the biggest controversy is going to be ministry, but the first thing I want to do is address family roles. <laughs> Brilliant. <clears throat> yes. I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. That's a smart, that's so, a smart uh, move. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, how do you think your women should be, Jeremiah? <laughs> woman. How do you think your woman should be? Uh, whatever she wants. <laughs> My wife listens. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was trying to. Nice try. Get you going there. Nice okay. try. I'm not going to say barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. <laughs> that's what you're going to say. But careful, man. Don't get me killed. So, okay. So, in in the family roles, one of or anything really, but I want to focus on the family because it, uh-huh. it comes out really, really well here. <clears throat> so, one of the things that is is interesting to note is not necessarily what. Um, is being taught about some of this stuff, but what is, or I say what's what's being commanded, et cetera, et cetera, but to think about what's being taught that never was taught before. Okay, so where is something new? Where is the new idea coming into this? Okay. Okay, so there's a lot of people think that the Bible is misogynistic. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's taught that oh, the Bible was written in a time where man ruled the world and women were subju- uh, subjugated and they were sl- nothing but slaves and property and blah blah blah. And so the Bible, of course, says women should be submissive to their husbands <laughs> and you know and all this sort of thing. And then they treat it like like if you're if like the feminist is upset at the Bible and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, in my opinion, they're not reading it. If they're upset with the Bible, because the Bible is very pro-woman. Well, yeah, and we've talked the, about this before, yes. but it's it's almost revolutionary pro-woman. Yes, who, who's the one? That, who are the people that find uh, the risen Jesus? The women. So the entirety of the gospel hinges upon a woman's testimony. Mm-hmm. That's yes. that's a number one Woo. thing, right yeah, there. That's a big one. Um, you know, you see. Uh, revolutionary women all throughout all throughout Scripture mm-hmm. who um, who do great things for God. Uh, Mary is a great example of that, and we covered yeah, a whole bunch our, of women and our women of the Bible study. I mean, that was whole. We t- we mentioned a lot of this that mm-hmm. that they are the ones who get it. Like they're the ones who seem to. Right. It's the guys who are stubborn and can't yeah. figure things out. Um, so so. The thing that I yeah. was going back to on this whole concept of what what was Jesus and the disciples teaching that was never being taught before. Mm-hmm. And whenever you look at the things that are new, the things that would have shocked the people in the room, which don't necessarily shock us anymore, but they would have shocked the people of that culture. Those are the things that I think you really need to focus on if you think that the Bible is teaching misogyny. Right. Uh, for example... Uh, Jesus was pretty clear in his teachings about uh, marital roles. Uh, he his his teachings were pretty much one man, one woman for life. Right. Like he taught against divorce. He, I mean, he was focused on uh, one man, one woman for life. He also was a big proponent for not forcing marriage. Like if you wanted to remain single, you remain single. Right. Uh, the Apostle Paul single followed up on the same thing. Right. Sure. He, he he addressed things that uh, one man, one woman for life. Mm-hmm. He addressed that. And he addressed living single and being okay with that. Right. Okay, so here's what I want to bring up about that. Those are revolutionary thoughts. We don't, we don't think about that, but those are revolutionary thoughts. In their day, in their time, it was no big deal for a guy to be unfaithful to his wife. Right. It was, it was a big deal for the woman to be unfaithful to the husband, but it was not a big deal for the guy to be unfaithful to the wife. So, for example, the woman caught in adultery, what about the guy? Right. 
He never gets brought up into in that situation. She was probably a prostitute anyway. Exactly. The the where's the guy's culpability? Not brought up. Why? Wasn't important in their culture. Sure. And so uh, it was not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal for a man just to get tired of his wife and divorce her and move on to the next one. That's why Jesus even had to address the question is because the the teachers, the scribes and Pharisees came up to him and said, teacher, what is your opinion about this? Right. You know, Moses said we could write off our wives all we wanted to with the writing of divorcement, which was a misunderstanding of even that. Sure. But... Uh, so that's the whole reason Jesus approached it was because it was okay in their minds to discard a wife. And so here's Jesus saying, don't do that. That your wife is your wife until death. And that was revolutionary to them. The same goes for this whole concept of remaining single. In, in their culture, if a woman wasn't married, she was worthless Right. She had no, nothing. She had nothing. She, if she couldn't bear children to somebody, she had nothing to offer the entire world. Period. Here's Jesus and the, and the uh, apostles teaching. That's not true. You can live single. In fact, we have apparently, well, they seem single women following Jesus. We don't ever read about... Uh, Husbands. Husbands for Mary, Martha, uh, Mary Magdalene. uh, I mean, like all these women. It's like, where are their significant others? They're not mentioned. And why aren't they at home cooking and cleaning? (laughs) Right. Why are they following a rabbi, which is revolutionary Oh, yeah. Okay, so for example, uh, we talked about Mary Bethany sitting at the foot of Jesus. And we always think, you know, when we read that in a cursory reading, we always think, we always picture... Mary sitting there all cross-legged, doe-eyed, looking up at Jesus, you know, just ah, gushing over what he has to say. Well, I don't think that's what that passage means when it says that she was sitting at his feet. It also, the, the scriptures also tell us that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Okay, so do we picture Paul sitting <laughs> cross-legged, uh, all doe-eyed, looking up at uh, Gamaliel? Gamaliel? No, we, we understand that passage to mean what it means, which is... He was a student right. of Gamaliel. He was learning what he had. To, he was grasping what the rabbi was teaching. This is the same for Mary of Bethany. Sure. This is a revolutionary thing. This was not something they did. Right. Um, so Ephesians 5, and we don't have time to go through all the details of these scriptures, but Ephesians 5 has all this talk in there about women being submissive to their husbands. And, some, and sometimes that gets pulled out and used all the time. But... Here's the revolutionary thought. Submit yourselves one to another. Ephesians 5 and 21. What? Wait a minute. Now, I know she has to submit to me. But I have to submit to her? But you're telling me I have to submit to her on some level? Uh, No, sir. That's not part of our culture. (laughs) And so it wouldn't have been part of the Ephesian culture. And so uh, this was revolutionary. Right. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave, gave himself, himself for it. For That's the hardest command in Scripture. I believe it. And so here, here you are looking at this going, this is revolutionary. I'm supposed to be able to write my wife off if I get tired of her. Right. Uh, and now I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. Yeah, and give and myself? Give, give himself. What? <laughs> so You crazy. Okay, so all of this is very pro-women. W- woman. It, it's Okay, 1 Corinthians 7. 
verse 1 through 5. Okay, now this is a, a good one. Um, so I've heard 1 Corinthians 7 actually used against, once again, to say it's misogynist, that a man should be, that a woman should give a man sex anytime he wants it in the marriage. <laughs> That's how people, some people read this passage. But right. l- let me read it to you. It says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, which we don't know what that was, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now, I want to notice something about each one of these things he says. It's mutual. Everything he says here goes both ways. That's right. He says, he says let every man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. Is there a period there? No, there's a comma. But the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So here's the the revolutionary part of this. There's instructions in here to the man. Right. About how he is not his own. He is his wife's. Okay, so my whole point in all of this, um, in the family role thing, is not just to say who's in charge and et cetera, et cetera. It's to show that Jesus and the apostles are being revolutionary in the culture in in setting things pretty equal. Mm. Now, there is there are leadership responsibilities that I do believe go one way or the other. In the in the home, it's in one place. In in uh, with rearing of the family, there's responsibilities. There are gender roles that we are built to do. Right. You know, there's the hunter gatherers. Men are built for that. There is the nurturing side that women are built for that. There's and we are just, we have certain chemicals in our body, hormones that drive us in these directions. It's true. And I don't think the Bible teaches against any of that. Right. Okay, so now on to the, to the crazy stuff. <laughs> Ministry. Yes. Okay, so uh, I w- let's talk about women's roles in ministry. So right off the bat, how how were you how were you raised in all this? What do you think? Um, well, okay, so traditional Southern Baptist Church, um, women depending on the on which Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah, well, when I was growing up, it wasn't it wasn't until two thousand that, that split. And uh, when I was growing up, the entire the entire denomination was set with the belief that uh, women could not be pastors, mm-hmm. women could not be ministers. Women could teach Sunday school if it was to children or other women, mm-hmm. but not mixed. Um, women could lead worship as long as there was another male present on the stage. Right. Women could pray. Women could give testimonies in the church. That was okay. But it was always under the rule of a male pastor. Mm-hmm. So that's how I grew up. Okay. On my side of the, of the fence, um, we were a little st- more stern than that. Right. Women literally were not allowed to speak at all during 
a church service. Why is that, David? Um, because First Corinthians fourteen okay. says it in black and white. <laughs> That's and right. If the Bible says it. I believe it, and well, that, that settles settles it. it. Um, <laughs> um, however, there's all kinds of questions that came up. Like, for example, women were permitted to sing, obviously. Yeah. Um, and uh, saying they did, we we had you know songs with alto leads. Right. Uh, there was plenty of that happening, and then there was always that odd little thing like um, someone came up wanted to be baptized. We took their confession without any problem, right there in front of everybody. So there were exceptions to the rules. No sure. one could really explain why they were exceptions. Um, but anyway, that's kind of how I, I was was raised. Right. But uh, it was all seen as rules, regulations. Uh, every verse in scripture is just another rule that you must follow. Sure. Um, instead of doing um, a more exegetical study into what the, the, the passages are saying, what the intentions behind them were. Um, and so I guess going into this, one of the things I want to say is we, we aren't saying you are wrong about anything. Once again, we are trying to provoke thought. And, and provoke study. And even after diving in and going as exegetical as you can possibly go, you may come up with a complete different take on it than where I'm going to be on this. I don't know. Yeah, okay. So I'm all right with that. I can I can agree with that. My biggest, if you're squelching the Holy Spirit during worship mm. because of a stupid rule, yeah, you might want to reconsider that. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. <laughs> but yep. other than that, I'm not saying you're wrong and you know, you do your own study. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. So what Jeremiah is saying is if you disagree, no, no, never mind. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go there. Okay. So uh so here's what I want to do. I want to toss out some scriptures that seem to promote women in ministry. Um, and then I want to look at some of the verses that have traditionally been used to uh, against women in ministry. And um, I also want to say that I believe there's a little bit of difference between being in ministry and actually leading the congregation. Okay. Like, I, I know a lot of denominations, that that's all mixed together. Like, your, your senior pastor is the leader of the church, and he's the teacher, and he's the, you know, it's a one-man show generally besides the, right. the uh, board that elected him. And um, and it just depends on what denomination you're in and how your government is set up. I mean, it's it's all over the map. Um, the the denomination I came from uh, was pretty much um, done um, differently than that. There weren't roles of pastors. There were, well, there were. They just weren't called that. They were called elders. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so. I think that the role of the of what the scriptures some refer to as elders and shepherds, shepherds. And is a little different than a minister. Right. So a, a minister can be just a guy who's preaching. Right. Like that's his job to preach. Um, but I think that the leadership of the congregation goes beyond the pulpit. It, it goes into actually getting into people's lives and right. and dealing. And depending on the denomination, sometimes that's a mix. Yeah. So, um, without covering church polity, right? Let's get into so, it. So, uh, let's look at some examples. Uh, in Acts 1, we have um, the situation where everybody's waiting on the Holy Spirit to come, right? Right, and they've all been been sent to um, to the Mount of Olives mm-hmm. and there or uh, Jerusalem, and uh, 
And so here in Acts 1, verse 12 through 14, it says, And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Uh, Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all these were with one accord with, uh, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, the women, mm. and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the women is used collectively, um, but it appears that they're all there when this Holy Spirit event occurs. Right. And so, um, so they're not precluded. No one is saying, hey, you women sit outside while this all happens. So that doesn't happen there. Um, <clears throat> jumping down into Acts 2. I can get there. Verse 17 through 18. Here, Peter is standing on, on the steps of the of the temple, mm-hmm. preaching the first gospel sermon. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, convicting hearts left and right. And he decides to quote from the book of Joel. Yes. And while he's doing that, this is what he says. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit hmm. and they shall prophesy. Hmm. Okay, so there's a prophecy going all the way back to Joel right? that doesn't preclude the females from this event. Right. Uh, and that's exactly what he's saying. He's telling them, you're witnessing this. This. Yep. Like that's the whole reason he's quoting Joel. Right. And... So obviously these women who were sitting in the upper room were just as equal in receiving the Holy Spirit and prophesying. And openly talking about it. Yes. So everybody was, I mean, you can say, you can argue this isn't a church service, blah, blah, blah. But if we're going to call this the first sermon, (laughs) what's to preclude the rest of it? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and then in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, it says... Uh, so Pete, this is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, "The aim of our charge is to love is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith." Um, is that the right one? I don't think that's the passage I was looking for. I don't know. The, I think the passage I was looking for was the one where he tells Timothy how great his his um, his mom and grandma were. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, and how well Timothy grew up in a, a Christian home. His mother and his grandmother were um, actually used her in my great woman of the, the Bible. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the point being there that Timothy's main instruction wasn't coming from the the father of the family. Um, and I believe his father was Greek, though. Mm-hmm. His mother was Jewish, uh, which would make sense why he's getting the instruction from the women. Right. But nevertheless, he's receiving instruction for the women. And I doubt she stopped at age 13. 
if she's the one that has to do all this providing, because Timothy would have been, according to Jewish tradition, he would have been a man at age 13. Right. And no longer able to be under the tutelage yep. of, a, of a woman. Yep. But in this culture, um, this is probably a, a break from that. Right. It's taboo, actually. It was not a normal thing for the, the son to sit through mm-hmm. listening. After and he and here he is, here's Paul going on about how blessed Timothy is because he received this. Right. Because he got this teaching uh, from, from women. He doesn't shame them at all for doing it. Uh, and then one of the biggest ones that comes up is Romans 16. So Romans 16 is the end of the book of Romans. And it, and it ends with, uh, with Paul basically saying, all right, all you guys... Um, in Rome, I need you to welcome a bunch of people that may be coming through. Here's my friends. And this is this whole list of basically saying, these are the people I really want you to treat well right. when they show up at your door. Um, and then there's a little blurb about you know, if people come and they're not so good, okay. Yeah. You know, ha- don't have anything to do with them if they're, if they're bringing something other than what I'm teaching. But in this list, there is all, there's, this is an interesting stu- uh, study in and oh, of yeah. itself. Going into the names that he brings up and trying to to do a little history, find out who, and these, see people who these people are. Uh, it's very intriguing. Uh, do you have it pulled up there? I do. Uh, catch the first three verses there. Okay, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Secreth. Uh, so sin, no sin three, right? I don't know. <laughs> that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her with whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Okay, let's stop there for just a minute. Okay, so uh, this word servant is also the same Greek word that is translated deacon, deacon. in other places in Yeah, I'm reading out of the ESV. Yes. Which is a little biased in this uh, vernacular. <laughs> but anyway, um, he, he uses this same term. Mm-hmm. To denote that she is a servant of the church, like an office of, like she is holding some sort of office in the church, right. like as a deacon um, in this church of Sincrea. And um, and then he goes on to say that she's taking care of me. She has been a great help for me in my ministry, more or less. So she has been a partner with right. me and that uh, she has been a patron uh, of many and of myself as well. So you have an example here of a woman without a mention of a husband. Um, <laughs> so, so continue on. Verse okay. Uh, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Okay, so now you have a husband and wife. Priscilla and that, Aquila. That are mentioned. Uh, this, th- this couple shows up more than once. Power couple. I find it really interesting that um, that um, Priscilla's name is A, listed first whenever naming them. Huh, I didn't think uh, of that. That's not a common thing to do in their culture. <clears throat> you would always list the husband's name first. Uh, but Priscilla's name is listed first. Uh, also, the fact that she's even mentioned at all in, yeah. in reference. Like, a, a lot of guys probably had their wives around with them at some point. You I'm know, sure in, Peter, I mean, think about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Peter's a great example. Yeah. We know that he was married. Right. Uh, but we don't know anything about Peter's wife. <laughs> Nothing at all. I mean, even Other his... Than- 
a lot of she has a mother. We know that, (laughs) right? He had a mother-in-law, but a lot of people think she was martyred along with him, right? And that that whole story, but uh, but I mean, other than that, we really don't know anything about her. So we know a little bit about Priscilla. Right in uh, Anna Aquila, in, because they're mentioned in Acts, in Acts eighteen, verse twenty-six. It says he began. He's talking about a guy by the name of Apollo. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, once again naming her first, mm-hmm. heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, so it doesn't say Aquila pulled him aside. It says they, they. like together, they pulled him aside. And so here you even have an example of a woman possibly usurping, if we want to use that term, authority Authority. over a a male teacher. Right. And saying, no, look, you don't have this right. This is missing it. This is this is how this is how it should be. Uh, And then the uh, only other passage I had here in this little list is First Corinthians eleven, verse four through six where uh, it's talking about head coverings, and there's a whole other study mm-hmm. uh, in and of itself about what's going on there. But the thing that I want to make mention is that it tells a woman how to pray in a public situation and how to prophesy. And it talks about the head covering being an important We kind of miss that. We, we miss the forest of the trees there because we're so focused on the head coverings, and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That we miss the fact that he's talking to women and telling them how to prophesy. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, think about that, <laughs> and 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 how to pray, like right. openly, right? And and see that that was another thing in in my culture growing up, women never prayed out loud. Who never? Like I'm not talking about just about church. I'm Why talking, was that? What's the because it, of that passage? Because of this? Well, not because of this passage. Because but of the stay silent in the church. It was just it was just cultural. See, thing. I was blown away the first time we had a prayer meeting together, and uh, your wife. Yeah. Didn't want to pray. She's very self-conscious about it. Because, right. It's just because it's, she's never done it. That blew me away. Because I grew up, I loved hearing my mama pray. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the most special things for me. Yeah. Growing up. So it, it's just a, it's just a uh, interesting thing. But here you have Paul telling the Corinthians too, by the way, which is going to be important here coming up, how a woman should pray in a public setting. Yeah. Like, okay, now here I want to make mention... One of the things I think was going on about this head covering thing, it's talking about honoring your head. And then it talks about honoring your husband through this. And it talks about him honoring God. So there's like this little chain of command right. type of thing that's being established. But the but the key is honor. Yeah. Like you're honoring God through here. And then it says that a woman's hair is her glory. Mm-hmm. I think what it's saying here in, in that why it says that a woman should cover her head is because there's only one guy who should be getting glory in the situation. And that's God. Right. And if your hair is your glory, this is a way of saying, I'm submitting my glory to your glory. Yeah. And uh and I'm not I don't want to take anything from you, God. And so I think that's what kind of what it's all about. Uh there's all kinds of opinions about it. But uh so but now let's get to the to the to passages everyone wants to read, everyone wants to go to, and and talk about them a little bit. <laughs> okay, so the most quoted passages, there's really two of them that really that are used all the time on this topic of why women are restricted from ministry, um, and they, uh, I think that 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 
the issues that are happening are very important. Okay. Okay, so these passages, I'm just going to uh, address them both. 1 Timothy 2 mm-hmm. and 1 Corinthians 14. Those, those are the two chapters where this is mentioned. 1 Corinthians 2, um, I want to I note some both of these. Okay. They both are addressing problems. Right. Okay, these are not just general instructions given for the whim of it. There's an issue at hand, a cultural issue at hand, right. that needed to be addressed. addressed. Um, in, in 1 Timothy 2, we find out that Timothy is in Ephesus, mm-hmm. and Paul is writing to give him instruction on how to minister in Ephesus. Like, that's what he's trying to say. Right. Now, um, Ephesus was a pagan city, right? largely. And so, uh, in fact, the greatest pagan worship practicing that was practice that was happening in Ephesus was the worship of Artemis. So Artemis is um, goddess is a goddess of fertility, right. and sexuality. Mm-hmm. She is uh, the I believe the Roman equivalent is Diana. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is the same goddess. And so the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis is the greatest. It's one of the world wonders, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge um, uh, temple, mm-hmm. uh, and the ruins of it are still there today. Right. And uh, so this was a huge uh, pagan cult that was in Ephesus. It was one of the big funding, you know, it helped fund the city in a lot of ways, too, by the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> always, everything went hand in hand with right. all that. So... Um, so that's what you're dealing with here. Um, now, here's a very interesting thing that has that I'll give you some of my sources <laughs> where this is coming from. Okay. Okay. There is a great study. I believe the guy's about names Gary Hogue, who uh, brought this up. But uh, there is a book, an ancient writing called um, Ephesiaca, and it's by, it's written by a man named Xenophon, and this is an ancient text that describes a lot of cultural issues or cultural um, uh, situations of the day. And it has most recently uh, been determined in 1996 that that they've dated it, they've dated this writing to 50 AD. Right at the time. That puts it right in the middle of this Timothy letter writing time frame. Like I believe uh, the writing of 1 Timothy uh, is around 54. So... We're looking at a very contemporary document right. that gives us insight into what this culture's like and what people are doing here. Yeah. And so this is very enlightening into the context because now we, we can see a little bit more about what is being taught here. So to, to, to give some of this context that comes from the Ephesiaca uh, writing, you, you, you find out that the worship of Artemis was because she's a goddess, the 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 primary priest, well, actually priestesses, I mean, it was driven by women. Women. Mm-hmm. Women taught it. Women were the leaders mm-hmm. of this entire cult, this entire sect. It was a very sexualized thing. Uh, sexuality was a part of their worship, orgies, things of this nature. It was right. all about fertility. Uh, women had a very important role in um in in the church of Artemis because they would they were procreating right. basically for the goddess and so it was just a very 
women oriented. Yeah. Society. And this was the by, by and large, the largest, um, paganism that was happening in Ephesus, Ephesus yeah. when Paul writes this. Okay. So let's go ahead and read this. You have this pulled up. It's first Timothy mm-hmm. two. Let's look at verse nine through 15. <clears throat> Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Ooh. Okay, so that passage is is like, people read that and they go flat, flat hermeneutic all the way. The Bible says it. That's it. That I believe it, that settles it, right? I mean, that's that's the hermeneutic people use on that because right. it sounds pretty clear. Cut and dry. It, it, it sounds really cut and dried. Um, the problem is, believe it or not, the Greek under that is some of the hardest Greek to translate. You can you can research this. Any translator will will tell you this. <laughs> that that passage is one of the hardest ones to nail down. A lot of the verbs, a lot of a lot of the words that are being used there, are very loose. Mm-hmm. They're very. They could. Uh, I know there was one term in here that had twelve very distinct and completely different meanings. Meanings. Wow. So you're trying to figure out. Through context, what it's through saying. context, what he's saying, and so um, yes, by and large, this is how the text reads. But if we start breaking it down, uh, one of the big things that we have to remember: the Bible does not contradict itself, right? Okay, and and generally, when it does, it's because either a translational error or a misunderstanding of the text. Uh, and so, what you do is you have to weigh the the majority text against the minority mm. text. So if you have like a uh, like we just read a whole list of situations where people were doing exactly the opposite of what it sounds like. Right. Uh, Peter, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, well, you can't trump all of the rest with one passage. You have to th- think, okay, well, let's dive into the context. Let's dive in a little deeper. Let's get past the flat hermeneutic and and get into the meat of this. Mm. What was the context of this? We already kind of started that by telling you about the people that were there at the time. Right. So he starts this passage by saying, be modestly adorned. Right. Okay, so first and foremost, we can read that as a flat hermeneutic and say, okay, I'm not supposed to braid my hair. I'm not supposed to wear earrings. I'm not supposed... And there's a lot of people that read it that way. Right. But in the context of what it's saying is, that is a priestess of Artemis. That's right. That's what he's describing there. The the plated hair, the coiffer uh, that, that they were wearing, that is the priestess attire. And so what he's saying is, don't be a priestess anymore. Right. There's all these women that were converting in Ephesus to Christianity. And he's saying, okay, you can take the hair down now. You can you can wipe off some of that makeup. 
You're no longer a whore of Artemis. Right. You are now a daughter of God. Mm. And so that's why he says, instead, you notice he says, instead, wear a bun. He doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't say, instead, do this with your hair. Right. What he's, what's he say? You know, do what is prop, proper for women who profess godliness and good works. Yes, he takes them to their outward, uh, what they're doing. Right. So if you do apples to apples here, this is not about appearance. This is about what you are, what you're doing. Yeah. Stop being a priestess and quit looking like a priestess and be a servant of God. Yeah. Instead, do do these these works. Okay. So that's first and foremost. Okay. Um, then uh, verse twelve. Okay. What's it say again? Uh, it says. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent. Okay, Quiet. so if you're in a culture where the women are leading their temple worship, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they convert to a new religion, what do you think they're going to want to do? They're, they're going to want to come, to come in and, and immediately pick up where they left off. They're going to, yeah. And so what he's saying is... Slow your roll, women. I know that that's what you're used to doing, but take the braids down for a minute and be submissive and listen and listen to what this what this teaching is about, and, right. and listen to the men that have brought this word to you, and listen to what they have to say. So this is being um, very situational mm -hmm. in what it's talking about. Um, verse thirteen and fourteen. Okay. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, so most people want to connect all this to say, okay, so it's saying that women should shut up because they shut up. The yeah. First, yeah. Because of Eve. Because she Eve, screwed up. Yes. Too bad. Too bad for you. Eve was the one who messed up, and she's a woman, so therefore. Women. Should shut up. Yes. And, um, but here's some more interesting things that come from Ephesiaca. Uh, what, and what Artemis, what the temple of Artemis taught. Okay. They taught that Artemis created the world. That Artemis, there's a creation. In fact, people say that, uh, or this writing says that uh, that temple of Artemis served as almost like a creation museum. Like what we would think of as a creation museum. Wow! Like you would go to it to learn about how the earth was created and how and how it was formed, and it was done by Artemis, Artemis. and that she lovingly she's the mother of all, and and so this instruction about Adam was created first, then Eve is trumping their creation myth, and basically saying this is not about Artemis creating the world, for Adam was created first. And then Eve, and then uh, there's another thing that that was, of course Gnosticism was still in mix everywhere, yeah, and it was also infiltrated into these pagan cultures like Artemis worship, and I mean, Gnosticism actually taught that uh, Adam was the one who transgressed, that Adam ate the fruit and Eve did not, like that's part huh. of the Gnostic teaching. And so that's also part of parcel why he's saying Eve was the one who transgressed. Eve was the one who... It's, 
it's basically trying to say your goddess isn't in control. Eve's not. Eve fell. Right. Eve, Eve was 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 weak, and so you need Jesus because Eve was weak. Right. And so and so it's the gospel that's that he's basically saying here. Take them to the gospel through Adam and Eve and get them out of this temple worship. So here's one of the biggest, and so people, you, and, you know, this may be completely a misinterpretation of these passages. I'm completely open to that. Okay. Uh, because it's not the way I, raised, I was raised to believe these passages meant. And they may not, and that's fine. I just, <laughs> I want to provoke thought and study. But here's one of the things that always blew my mind about this passage. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, so I if, never understood that. So if you're taking this passage when in context good. to say this is about women in ministry, like if that's what the point of the passage is, what in the world does that verse mean? It's totally, it, it's, I've, I haven't heard a good answer. There isn't one. On that. And, uh, but if we go down this path of it being contextual and being cultural and listening to what this whole area was teaching and listening to what the Temple of Artemis was teaching, they also taught this, that a woman, of course, childbearing was a big thing for this temple, Right. And fertility was a big thing. And they believed that if you were not a subject of Artemis, if you didn't pray to Artemis while you were pregnant, you would die in childbirth. That was what they believed. And so these converts are coming in, and now let's say I'm pregnant. Say I'm a woman, and I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And I come into this new belief system. Now what? Am I going to die in childbirth? Because I'm not praying to Artemis? She's the, and the reason why they believe this was because in the mythology, Artemis saved her mother as her mother was giving birth to her brother Apollo. And so because of that, because of that story, mm-hmm. she's required to save the mother in the childbearing. So in, huh. in order to survive your childbearing, you had to pray to Artemis. And so this makes sense right? whenever you read this passage. So read it again with that in mind. She will be saved through childbearing. In other words, while she's giving birth, she will be saved. Yes, there's nothing to worry about. That's right. In this. Like, like there is, um, that, that is not... If they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. Yes, if they're focused on God. Right. If that's, if that's where they are, they're at, then... Th- you don't have to worry about this Artemis myth. Yeah. And so with... Oh, so. Man, there's so much theology that people have taken <clears throat> from this bad theology, you know, thinking, well, I, in order to be saved, I have to give birth to children if I'm a woman. You know what I mean? Yes. I've heard that before. I've heard that, I've heard that as well. <laughs> and that's so not what this is talking about <laughs> at all. And, so. you know, and again, I'm not saying that this is 100%, this is what this means. What I'm saying is we need to be open about our understanding of well, it. Well, what else could it mean, though? Think about that. That verse, I don't know. I, I, I mean, that verse has always confused me. <laughs> if you got a good answer, call in. But, uh, you know, and another 
Another way I could see him doing this sarcastically. Yeah, they'll be saved through childbirth. You know, Artemis can sit. <laughs> if you're giving birth to children, then you're doing your duty as an Artemis follower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, that's fine. If they, the children, continue in faith and love and holiness and self control, in other words, right. if you're raising them correctly, <laughs> right? Yeah, so that doesn't even really make sense. No. Because you have to do one before you can get the other. Exactly. So <laughs> I don't. It, it, it's confusing. Yeah. In, in the ways that it's traditionally been interpreted. Right. Um, but, but, you know, here's my problem with this, is, is that the traditional take on this it just seems like there is a lot of other passages that, that Paul missed the opportunity to teach on. Sure. Especially whenever he's writing to the Romans, and he's giving them this list of, of women. Uh, th- there's one woman that, that I failed to even mention. It's, it's later on, uh, Acts... No further on uh, in, Romans. in Romans, where she's mentioned as it, the wording is it's iffy. You know, it depends mm-hmm. on how it's translated, but it can be translated a, a, a fellow apostle. Right. And then people go, what? What? <laughs> no, that's that can't be what that means. But then he also talks about her being in suffering in the work with him. So regardless of how you want to define apostle, she was working. She was working with him in ministry, in ministry. And, he, and he makes that pretty plain in how he words that. Right. So it. So it, I don't know. It just it doesn't fly well with these passages here. The same man. It's the same guy. Yeah. And he can't be on two completely told polar opposite ends of this spectrum. Right. Um. So, okay, so the last passage I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 14. Okay. Okay, so let's let's talk about what this, this letter's doing a little bit. First off, it's being written to uh, Corinth in Greece, mm-hmm. uh, which was, again, a very pagan culture. Mm-hmm. However, there was a pretty good Jewish con- uh, constituency there. There was, um, there was a, a, a temple, and, so, and there were churches getting planted there. You, in Sincrea, right. you, we mentioned uh, Phoebe. She was in Sincrea, which is just a handful of miles away from um, Corinth. They weren't very far apart. And so um, he's he's writing to them uh, because they, they're, one, they're, they're negligent, they're, um, they're lustful, they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff like they would still be doing were they in pagan cultures. They were um, they were misusing the Lord's Supper, and I think the reason why he had to write this letter, I mean, because he does say all things are lawful, but all things aren't helpful. Right, like like, the, like he's telling them the point of First Corinthians fourteen is decency and in order, and that's what was missing in their in their worship and in their right. services. It was chaos. Right, people were going nuts and and. Talking all over each other and not not getting anything accomplished. So there was no no fulfillment. There was no you know there was no uh, it wasn't edifying at all. Right, which was the whole point. Right, and and that's what he's basically saying here in giving them instruction. It was to correct them so that people could be edified, so right. that people could learn. He wasn't giving them some hard. Oh, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this or if you do that. He was telling them how giving them proper instruction on how to worship right and make it good yeah. <laughs> make it meaningful make Amen. it make it edifying 
And so we get to the end of this passage, which is 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 34 through 35. Okay. It says, um, The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. For if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, so that's another one that's often quoted by itself without the context of the rest of this passage as, once again, the Bible says it, I believe it. That, that settles, settles it. It's a flat um, hermeneutic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, once again, we're dealing with a culture, and we're dealing with a very specific thing. The Greeks were, although there was a lot of paganism, there was also a Socratic method of teaching mm-hmm. that was very popular. And the Socratic method of teaching was also had infiltrated into the Jewish community. Right. The synagogues were held in, in a Socratic style of, of teaching. Question and answer. We think of we think of church as four songs, a sermon, maybe the communion, you know, and a clo- altar call. And a altar call and a closing prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've got it down, right? Right. But once again, did we not have a tradition just by reading our Bible, we would probably not come up with that structure. Right. Um, so there weren't sermons like we think of them at this time. Yeah. Um, not in the in, in a gathering, not in synagogue, not in these pagan uh, cultures. There was there was oratory that would happen in places like um, in you know in Athens and whatever. If there was a teacher there that would speak, they got Paul to do it at Mars Hill. Right. Uh, but in general, in their in their studies. They would sit around and ask questions, and that's how thought progressed. Sure, that's how that's how learning happened in the Socratic method. Right, is educated people would sit around the table, and they would what do you think ask questions, and the proper response to a question was a question. Right, and so what it would happen was it would elevate the conversation, and until enlightenment enlightenment occurred, like that's the whole point of the Socratic method. Now, in their culture, in this Greek culture, women weren't all educated, period. They weren't even allowed to go to school right. at all. And so women weren't a part of the Socratic method. Now, one of the things that we learn about these Corinthians in this Corinthian church is that they were feeling, they were definitely feeling the freedom. <laughs> they, were, they were bucking the system. like They felt free to... To fool around with my mother-in-law. I mean, that's right. what happened there in First Corinthians five, right? Definitely. <laughs> there was all kinds of freedoms that didn't. Okay, maybe you should not. Maybe you should put you know a harness on your freedom, everybody. <laughs> and you know, all things are lawful. Not all things are. Exp- <laughs> so, so it was like, okay, you're taking this and you're you're going you're going time. against what God desires right. as far as um, morality, and uh, and so. What he was basically doing, what they were doing here, was bucking the system. The chaos was was happening, and the women who were not educated because they weren't simply allowed to be right didn't understand what was happening in these Socratic discussions. They didn't know how to elevate the to elevate the thought, thought yeah. and they would ask him questions that would take down the thought that would draw it down right and i get the impression by the way it's worded 
that it was also very confusing, like shouting across the room, trying to to ascertain what was being said or what sure. did he say, you know, that sort of thing. And so to me, this passage is really saying what it's what it's saying is that um, that you wouldn't do this in any other gathering where this method of teaching is used. Why are you doing it here? Because you're just causing disorder. Yeah. If you're confused and have a question, wait until after this is through, and then you and then you can ask your questions there. It wasn't really a strict law of role as much as it was a law uh, or a a command of order. We want this to be orderly, right? And you're being disorderly because you're shouting out questions and you're causing you're wreaking havoc on the assembly. And uh, so that's kind of how I read that passage. I don't think it's meant to be given as a, this is the role and you can't, because if you want to be, you know, a totalitarian about it, that word in the Greek that's translated uh, speak, for she is, was it say forbidden to speak or not, forbidden, al- yeah, not allowed to speak? Um, that word speak means to make an utterance which is any sound whatsoever. So that would that would for for one this would this would completely knock out what he'd already taught just 3 chapters earlier 1 Corinthians 11 when he's telling women how to pray. Right. He's going to turn around 3 chapters later and say, "Oh, by the way, uh you can't make any sound at all." What about what about that as the law also says I've saw I've seen several different things about that because okay. um, I haven't actually seen and and maybe one of our listeners will correct me which is fine and where you can find some sort of Levitical law for this right but um, I believe that it's talking about culture like it's talking about okay the the um, as you've been taught as you as you already know this is already a law you do now. You shouldn't have to be right. taught this, that it, it already exists here. Um, maybe it is a reference to a Levitical law, but uh, I, I, I didn't look that up to see if that was uh, something I... <laughs> well, the reason I ask that is because later on down, so if you look, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church, mm-hmm. and then he continues chastising them. Or was it from you that the word of God came? <laughs> right? Or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Those are pretty strong words right. coming from an apostle. You know what I mean? True. So it's almost it almost feels like he's this is a tradition that he's been laying down in a lot of ways. Right. And it and it very well could be. Yeah. Um he it is it, this tone is actually used all throughout the letter. Um, he's very upset with them uh, for how they handled this. Oh, yeah, way. he's angry. He's upset with them, uh, how they handled communion. and uh, This one's dealing specifically with prophecy more than anything else. True. Um, they, this chapter is talking about prophesying. It's talking about tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, they were very obsessed about spiritual speaking, gifts, yeah. especially speaking in tongues. And... Um, and he kept saying, hey, look, this is not the most important thing. In fact, the whole reason 
this chapter follows chapter 13, mm-hmm. which is the quote-unquote love chapter, right? Mm-hmm. The whole reason that chapter's there is because they were focused on the wrong gifts. Right. And he was like, love's the most important gift you got, yeah. and you're not using it. Right. And, uh, of course, then that leads into this whole thing about when you come together, you're all singing different songs, you're teaching different things, you're not, you're not in harmony at all, you're not uh, edifying one another, you're being completely disorderly. Mm. And so this whole, and, and so it could be that this verse 36 is a sum, summation of everything he's talking about in the chapter, not necessarily just the, the role of, of women. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell precisely because, well, like, for example, in the ESV, it looks like there's a paragraph break there, but that's the work of the translators. Right. Um, but, you know, when he says, or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? Um, almost sounds like he's dealing with the prophecy issues. Yeah. Because uh, you know, he's basically saying, I've got more authority than you do. So listen to what I have to say. Exactly. I've talked to God through Jesus directly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, let's see. In the very last verse, I think it's the most important verse of the whole chapter. It says, but all things should be done decently in order. That's the whole point. Yeah. Verse 39 says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. Right. So, I mean, it all kind of goes back to... um, The chaos. I'm not laying a lot on you, you know, but, but love one another and be cool about what you're doing. Right. Like, be helpful to one another. Yeah. Well, and his big problem was somebody, some an outsider would come into this service, and he would be totally dissuaded mm. because of what was going on. Right. Yeah, they mentioned that earlier. Yeah, and so that was one of the big things where he says, you know, just stop it. And that's why he uses that harsh language about a woman shameful for her to speak. In the culture, it was shameful right. for a woman to speak in that culture. Right. And so it was a big deal. Because they wouldn't even be educated, so why in the world? So that's what Paul is saying, and he, mm-hmm. he's trying to let these people know that their, you know, their services are for building each other up, edification, but they're also for reaching a lost world. Mm-hmm. And so when people are coming in, checking this out, and they're totally turned off by babbling women, mm-hmm. right? Right. Then they're going, "I'm sitting for me and leaving." Yeah. Without. You know, these people are nuts. Right, they don't have the truth. Exactly, and because, and of course, you don't even have the opportunity to teach the truth because right. you're, because you're too confusing. Right. Um, so again, Paul is not anti-woman, and in fact, you look like we've already established. You look at his his history and repertoire with women, mm-hmm. and you see that he he views them as equal. Right. Um, and on the same level. Well, and he so, comes right out and says, "In Christ, there is no Jew, no, no Greek, no, no male, male or no female." female. That's right. And, uh, and of course, you can take that to say, well, he's just talking about your situational um, standing with yeah. God, but, um, but you know, it could be taken further than that as well. Sure. Um, now, I guess the, I guess one of the bottom line questions is, is um, what would I personally be comfortable with? Um, I still have a hard time getting past my, <laughs> my, co- my cultural norm, right? Like, th- there are still things that I... That I definitely struggle with in this, and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, rules and regulations as much as it has to do with what's expedient. 
Right. <laughs> what 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 builds up? What's at, you know? Are you going to change things for the sake of changing? Um, and I also think that there, like I said before, there's a big difference between ministering, you know, being a teacher or whatever, and being the pastor or leader or um, shepherd or you know whatever term you want to put on it. Um, I I just think that that we we were we were built by God to do certain things and we and we have roles that he's assigned to us and he expects us as men to be leaders uh in our homes in our churches and we're constructed that way hmm. and so um i do think that um that that is the at least in my view the preferred manner right because it's because it it, it follows the natural order of things, and of course, you know, the feminist listing are calling them misogynist already. Well, but whatever. <laughs> I, you, you can call us that all you want. We didn't say that women are unequal. They're totally equal, and in in many ways superior. Oh, <laughs> uh, in many ways. And so that's not what we're saying. Um, what we're saying is that that God has established different roles in scripture Mm -hmm. and the truth is and in uh, nature and in nature and Mm -hmm. and that is an okay thing that doesn't mean we're we're not equal it means that we're meant for different things Mm -hmm. totally different than equality and so uh we got to be careful with putting equality equality with with uh sameness Mm -hmm. because that doesn't fit right Right. Um, and well, it's like you know, I think you used the example before of the wine glass right, and the, the uh, coffee mug and the thermos or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they both hold liquids. Right. But one of them is used for you wouldn't put your thermos out for your fancy dinner. Right. Uh, but if, then again, you wouldn't take your wine glass out into the woods. Well, you might, but you wouldn't take it you know out hunting on with the you. construction site. Right. Or whatever. Right, because it's not the place for it. It's not where it would be served the best. Exactly. So we we definitely have uh, roles that we were built to do mm-hmm. and and built to be. And if you take us take us back out of a quote unquote civilized society where things aren't quite so easy, <laughs> uh, where maybe we do have to hunt for our food again and that sort of thing. Um you know, I mean, it's just you, the differences become much clearer. You know, because we are built to do that. He's he's put this inside of us that, from a man's perspective, draws us to that. We want mm. to protect. We want to to provide. We want to um, we want to help sustain our family through those means. I have hardly any nurturing. <laughs> natural abilities at all. Like if I did not have a wife, my kids would probably die. They'd fall over, they'd get run over by the car. I mean, whatever, because I'm, j- that's just, I'm not good at that. Right. Right. But my mom, but my wife is like the best mom. Like she's, she is sure so nurturing. And all she wants to do is protect her little chicks and take care of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, like, but the flip side of that is she has absolutely no desire whatsoever to do, and it's not, it's not an issue of subjugation, it's she just has no desire whatsoever to take leadership right. roles, um, and because it's just not in her nature. 
And so I, I think that a lot of that, that bleeds into this. So, for example, if you were on an island full of women and there was no men around, it would be okay for a woman to pastor a church or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't... I, but I think that, um, I think that if, if there are qualified men available, that should be given to them because that's what God expects of them. He expects them to lead. That's right. And he's taught us how to lead. Yeah. So it, it's just biblical. And I, you know, it's hard in today's culture mm-hmm. to see that. Yeah. And it's getting harder and harder, but, uh, I'm all for the traditional family. And mm-hmm. I think that is a biblical model. And yeah. I don't, I don't think that we need to be throwing that away. Yeah. Because it's unhealthy for the society, but at the same time, I also think that it is it is beneficial for women to to minister mm-hmm. in many forms, yeah. and um, we have throttled that. Right. And I, I know in my past we've throttled it like crazy. Yeah. Um, but th- there's or or we've somehow put it under a under a less important. Category, mm-hmm. for instance, Kay Arthur is one of the greatest theologians I think of our time. Mm-hmm. And she's a woman, but she didn't get the same notoriety. You know what I mean? Right. And so many other same could like be said said for Beth Moore or right. uh, Priscilla Shire and, or. And that's a sad <clears throat> thing. But, anyways. So anyway, that's kind of. I'm sure that we made everybody mad. Sure. <laughs> but deal with it. <laughs> In the love of Jesus. You know what it is? We don't get enough feedback here on the right. Who cares? <laughs> Bring it on. So we, we had to pick something to try and get uh, people up stirred the, up. The, yeah, camps. Uh, no, honestly, this is a question that has been brought up more than once right. to us. And so, um, again, I want to, to throw out that last disclaimer before we move on to the news, is that... Um, we are thought provokers. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah. We're not trying to say we're right and everybody else is wrong. We're not trying to buck the system. We're not trying to be uh, revolutionary. <laughs> uh, we just want to provoke thought, right. exegetical study, and right. to uh, and proper hermeneutics. Right. Amen. So, and that, right. that makes you a theonaut. That's right. Okay, we ready for some news? Yeah, that's it. And now the news. All right, so new information has come out uh, from the Texas, the Austin bombings. Have you been hearing about that at all? The bombings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So they were done by a 23-year-old man named Mark Anthony Condit, and he was raised as a conservative Christian. Oh, yeah. Of course that has come out. Uh, Yeah. And so the the interesting thing is he was, like, homeschooled. He was part of a homeschool group that has been – Getting some backlash now. <laughs> the homeschool group. Oh, those killer homeschoolers. <laughs> well, exactly. What's the, so, but there was a, uh, uh, this group is called Riot. Um, and it it's, takes its name from a Carmen group, uh, Carmen song from back in the, de- the 80s. I know you've hardly ever heard of Har- Carmen. I, I showed him to you one time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. but it stands for <laughs> Righteous Invasion of Truth, and it was a survivalist group where they talked about making this kind of stuff, like bombs and stuff. Oh, great. And so there's even more. So apparently that's all Christianity. Right, well, yeah. that's so what they're we're, doing. So we're all possible bombers. In mainstream media, they they're say, oh, now, you know, 
yeah. they're extremists and you know uh dangerous so uh so you know there's that all right so have you gone and seen i can only imagine yet yes did you like it i did you watched it last night uh right? no it's friday night yeah friday night yeah today's monday Gosh. yeah <laughs> I yeah, I liked it quite a bit. It it wasn't your typical Christian movie. Right. Although it was done by Pure Flix. But you know, I think that they're making enough money now that the the production values are going up. Yep. And uh it, it was it was actually it was not preachy either, which is one of the things people complain about Christian movies. Right. Um uh, it was more about the relationship between a father and a son than it was um than it was preachy. Hmm. Like, of course, the gospel's in it, but sure. it's but but the whole thing centered around um, you the know, relationship Bart Millard and his, his father. and his abusive father, right? And how uh, he ends up having to forgive his his father and actually becoming really good friends with him before right. he passes. But it's a it's a very good very good story. Well, the weekend box office saw some major upsets. Not the least was Pacific Rim Uprising being the movie to finally topple Black Panther as the <laughs> highest grossing weekender in the United States. The most surprising performance came from the faith-based film I Can Only Imagine, which expanded to about 600 more theaters and made another $13.8 million, down only 19% from its opening weekend. Wow. So it's doing extremely good. Most movies in their second week see a decline of around 50%. Um, but I can only ima- imagine expanded their their audience viewing. So it's yeah, it's become a really big movie, and uh, it's setting records like right and left. I guess I need to go watch it. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I honestly was it. not was not thrilled about seeing it. Really, I, I mean, I just really didn't have much sure. of a desire to see it at all. But I was glad I went. It was a good movie. So Dennis Quaid did a good job, huh? He actually did a really good job. Awesome. All right, Mario Lopez, you know who that is? Uh, the name is familiar. A.C. Slater from... Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. From uh, Saved by the Bell, right? right? Yes, okay. Yeah. Mario Lopez... Oh, man, my thing just messed up. Mario Lopez just got baptized in the Jordan River. Oh, this thing... I lost my link. But anyways, that oh, was news. Okay, well, awesome. Yeah, he accepted he saved, Christ and was... Saved by the... Bell. <laughs> Bell. <laughs> Saved, saved by something. That's hilarious. Yeah, that would have been cool to be there at the at the river with a bell. <laughs> Ding, just saying. Congratulations, AC. <laughs> um, another, uh, man, a lot of this has to do with entertainment for some reason. Topher Grace will play a pastor in a new faith-based movie called mm. The Impossible, which I'm interesting. It's about a mother whose 14-year-old son came back to life through prayer and faith after the boy fell through a frozen lake. Uh, lake, sorry, Grace, according to Variety, will play a pastor who helps the mother and community pull through the tragedy. The Impossible will come to Fox 2000 and producer Devon Franklin, who created Miracles from Heaven and all those other fancy miracle movies. All those miracle movies. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Seeing Topher Grace in a pastoral role. <laughs> After that 70s show, right? That's right. That'd be interesting to see. I don't know. Are you going to watch uh, Jesus Christ Superstar this weekend? 
Uh, I don't know much about it. Easter Sunday, CVS is doing a live performance of Jesus Christ Superstar. Really? Oh, it's one of those. Are what? you ready for this? So John Legend is playing Jesus. Okay. You know the, the black soul yeah, singer? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. He's playing Jesus. And uh, yeah, that's a very interesting choice. Um, Alice Cooper is going to play Herod. Wow. <laughs> So that alone is why you should yeah. go and watch this yeah. show this weekend. But uh, it should, you know, it should be interesting. <laughs> um, let's see. This this is a great headline. Baby Jesus that was stolen in 1930 was just returned to its church. An unknown package came to the doorstep of a New <laughs> Jersey church Wednesday morning. Inside it was a baby Jesus statue stolen from the church nearly a century ago in the 1930s. <laughs> The package raised suspicion of Our Lady of Grace and St. Joseph Reverend Alexander um, Santora. He said it looked like it was packed by a person instead of a company, and it came with no return address. He reported the package to the police department, and the cops used a heat-detecting device to determine there was nothing incendiary in the box. Wow. The statue came with a note saying the statue had come into possession of the sinner's grandfather. He had given it to another sinner's mother who had passed it on to the mailer. The mailer wrote, I felt it should be returned to a trifle owner, and you will find it enclosed. <laughs> the item is in a great condition, says Santora. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's great. I'm so glad that the person, you know, <laughs> that it got back to uh, the first. All right. Um, and then I got some Pope news, and that'll do it for okay. today. Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah, the Pope is here. <laughs> On Saturday. Hundreds and thousands of protesters marched through the streets of Washington, D.C. in conjunction with hundreds of other organized events around the country to advocate for stronger legislation of gun control. Millions of voices have joined the majority Stoneman Douglas High School students who began the March for Our Lives movement, and now, in a peripheral sense, Pope Francis has joined them. While he didn't address March for Our Lives or gun violence explicitly during his Palm Sunday sermon, Pope Francis did shine a light on all the young people involved in the movement, telling the tens and thousands of them, young people, you have it in you to shout. Uh, It is up to you not to keep quiet. Pope Francis also urged leaders and adults to listen to youthful voices. He seemed to call out politicians and those in power. There are many ways to silence young people and make them invisible, to make them keep quiet. Ask nothing, question nothing, keep them from getting involved. Hmm. The point, whether you agree with the cause of the students march in D.C. this weekend, don't ignore them because of their youth. That's oppression. That's bias. That's what he's saying. Anyways. So, uh, well, while we're on Pope news, I meant to tell you that um, uh, one of our listeners, Daniel Wilkinson, yes, sent us uh, a link to Babylon B. <laughs> that he felt like needed to fall into our Pope news. But this isn't real Pope news. This is this Babylon. Is, yeah, this is uh, okay. fake Pope news, I'm sure. Pope leaves factory sticker on hat to garner street cred. <laughs> <laughs> Vatican City. <laughs> After picking up a brand new Pope hat at the Vatican City Lids retail shop, Pope Francis reportedly elected to leave the new era... 5950 factory sticker on the rim of the cap in order to garner street cred with local <laughs> use. Rather than peeling off the sticker from his new brand new papal hat, Pope Francis made the fashionable decision to leave that bad boy on there. 
according to the sources. I'm making Catholicism hip and relatable again, Francis said in a homily that was sporting the shiny factory decal. <laughs> the kids will know I'm dope with the times when they estimate <laughs> my new era sticker and know that I'm the real deal, yo. Yo. <laughs> At publishing time, Pope Francis had invested in an expensive set of pre-torn factory-faded papal robes. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Pre-torn, <laughs> factory-faded papal roads. Uh, nice. So, okay, another thing I was thinking of while you were giving your uh, pop culture mm-hmm. news. Th- did you see the, uh, the, the trailer for the new Karate Kid movie? Is it real? Is that actually <laughs> happening? Is it a Cobra Kai movie? Yes, yes. It is, or is this an April Fool's no, joke? Well, I don't know. It's, uh, it's on YouTube. It's a uh, YouTube original. Um, okay. And it's it's if it's a hoax that they went all out. They've got Daniel. Uh, I mean, the, the guy who plays Daniel. Dude, or, um, what's his name? Daniel son. Yes. Um, uh, yes, Ralph Macchio. I rely on Kevin to give me <laughs> feedback. And what's the Billy Zapka, Billy Zapka who plays the uh, bad bad guy? Yeah. So uh, anyway, it's like thirty four years later after the the right. original. Event karate kid event, and of course, uh, you know, the dude that beat down from the Cobra Kai, he's like, he's like a loser. And uh, anyway, he he finally gets up with some gumption to start his own uh, dojo, the dojo. <laughs> and of course, it's up to the karate kid to put a stop to it, sure. <laughs> Who's now the karate middle aged man? <laughs> That's insane. I was actually saw the trailer was very compelling, like, I really want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with you, man. I'm there. Whatever, whatever relives, you know that that era. I was blown away by the second Karate Kid, the one where they go to Okinawa. Yeah, yeah. And like, I liked that one too. Oh my gosh, the whole crane thing is yeah. just the best. Yeah. And the the drums. Yeah, yeah. Remember the spinning drum? Oh my goodness, such a good movie. <laughs> I want to go watch that right now. Oh, my. Are we ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do this. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com. Subscribe to the newsletter. Stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972 985-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Hey, thank you, man. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your great commission. This is...
is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTnetwork.com. My only fear is the uh, milk drinkers in my congregation. Is this meat going to be too much for them to swallow?